Thanks for listening to another episode of the Giving Leader Podcast. I hope you've been enjoying the episode with Phil Cook. He is the dude. He, I mean, just read his stuff. Um, his, his, every book he comes out with is a real book, bottom shelf where everybody can reach it. Has lots of good insight into the whole media thing. If you've watched on television, any of the commercials dealing with the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., which are very cool commercials, that's Phil Cook. He did all that stuff. So if you've been listening to that, I know thousands of you have. I appreciate it. 11 months ago, we launched this podcast out of our ministry, The Giving Church. And you have blessed us with literally tens of thousands of you downloading the episodes. Um, the guy I'm going to talk to right now, I watched a short video of his last week. And he was explaining to his church and everybody else that wanted to listen just why they were going to open and reopen their campuses and so forth. And uh, he's an articulate guy. He's got an interesting background. His name is John Weiss. Maybe you've, you've uh, come across him in the past. He's at Southland Christian Church, Lexington, Kentucky, multiple locations, uh, bought a mall on Richmond Road a few years ago and really did a cool job of redoing that. Um, spent years in Haiti before that, married a couple kids, been 13 years as lead follower of the community of about 14, 15,000 strong, which I'm sure he has found out like everybody else via technology that what you call community is much larger than you thought. <laughs> yes, but is. he's with us. And for the next few minutes, we're going to hang out. Mr. Weiss, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Hey, my pleasure. You know, everybody we've talked to, which has been amazing, is uh, to find out the impact of the virtual services and realize that this some kind of tangible numbers, everybody's got different ways of counting, but how many are out there watching. And I'm sure that not the 14, 15,000 that would show up on a weekend at Southland campuses, but when this pandemic hit and everybody had to tune in, that you found out your reach and your tentacles were a lot farther than you thought. Yeah, it's interesting. We, we've been on TV, local TV for a long time. And so there's always been this kind of unique technology DNA in our church family, even among our older folks. And uh, when we decided to go, decided to go live online, we realized there's an entirely different group of people that we were not reaching at all. And now it's a, it's a global reach. It's really, really been fun. And then because of the pandemic, it opened up even more opportunities, opportunities for us to reach even more people. And so it's actually strengthened our online, uh, efforts and ability to communicate with people. We've actually had to beef up that team with some volunteers and staff. And I'm just excited to see what the future holds, even as we open up, um, because there are a lot of people that just will not come physically. And this may be their first step uh, towards meeting Jesus or towards getting connected to his, his body. Yeah. I, and that's one of the things I do want to talk about. I want to get into your, your rationale and your reasons, because you laid them out very succinctly on why you're opening uh, or reopening. And, but then also, one of the, the soapboxes I've been on for the last several weeks is I think churches in North America make a mistake if they go back and say, I just can't wait to hold my breath until we can physically come back into the building again and not realize that this has, is a change dynamic and that, just as you said, generationally, people have thought, hey, wait a minute, this whole online experience thing is different than what I thought. And I think one of the hard, hard things is going to be for churches to figure out, okay, how do I build on that? How do I interact with those people? Uh, I was preaching before this whole thing happened at a church up in Washington, D.C. area, and they're big online and have had been so for years. And they always, at the beginning of their services during their welcome and greeting, would always welcome those online and talk about chat hosts and all that stuff. That's not my generation. 
So one, one week I'm up there preaching for their services and I said, okay, I just want to know every service. I asked the same question, raise your hand. If you've ever been one of those, you've been home, you actually watch this. And I'm not lying. Every hand, every service raised. And sure. I'm like, okay, I am, you know, the out of step person. I am <laughs> the person that has no clue. These people do this stuff. The pandemic, I, I use Greg Laurie as an example. You know, Greg's got a large church in Southern California that would probably 20, 30,000 easy on the weekend. But on Easter, has like a million six sure. to tune in. And you sure. realize, oh, wow, okay, how do I do that? When you make the decision to open back up, that an decision, was that pushback within some of your leaders? Walk me through that. Yeah, there was some some pushback early on because our governor had uh, issued some some dates and some guidelines that he said he would eventually revisit. So we were being patient and waiting for him to do that. And then he gave some pretty strict guidelines that we felt like because of our size, uh, we needed to be attentive to. Uh, we just felt like we had a little bit of a target on our back from a PR standpoint. So uh, we had a few leaders that were just you know making sure that we followed those guidelines strictly and we assured them that we would and um you know but had some some good reasons for why we felt like we needed to open uh, just based on feedback that we were getting from people who uh, were not dealing with the isolation very well at all and you know needed community need to be in person with people and yet at the same time gave people permission to continue to watch online at home if they needed to for whatever reason yeah part of the reason interested by your video because first of all you laid out two or three points that are pretty easy to follow on this is a good rationale biblically the whole thing but yeah. at the same time just about 90 miles up the road from you is brian tome and tome had just written his dissertation on basically ah we don't know if we're ever going to reel <laughs> sure sure <laughs> and i'm like i i, I like both these guys i think that's very interesting so uh what was there a neat did you feel pushed like we got to get reopened or did you feel the freedom to sit back and say, no, what is best? Yeah, we had freedom to sit back and say, what is best? You know, our, our offerings were doing well. Um, the engagement online was going really well. Feedback for the most part was really well, uh, going well. But we, we did have a demographic of people that, you know, wrestling with anxiety, wrestling with depression, wrestling with all kinds of loneliness patterns and issues that we felt the responsibility to. And again, other people can stay home if there's a fear of getting sick or if there's a you know, health-related issue or age issue. We just made sure we communicated that we're not putting any pressure on those folks, that we're simply opening our doors for those that, that really need to have an in-person experience. And we opened last weekend and we had a decent, decent turnout. Okay, so I forgot that you opened last weekend. So tell me, uh, is it like 20%, 30%, what were you expecting? Yeah, we were expecting between 20 and 30%, to be honest with you. Um, we'd heard that from a few other churches around the nation that it opened, specifically Life Church. And um, so, yeah, we were in that, in that ballpark. And we feel like, you know, when you're dealing with summer schedules, which is a normal downtrend every, every year, um, but we expect week to week to see some, some growth as word gets out that, hey, they were, they were conscientious and cautious and, you know, create social distancing opportunities, open multiple venues. I, I think as that word spreads, uh, more and more people will feel comfortable coming back. The, I, and maybe I'm all wet on this, but I, I'm convinced that um, you gave, we gave permission for everybody to stay home and to watch because every you had to. 
So even those that weren't into the habit yet, their churches maybe offered those things, but they weren't really doing it. Now they did, and I kind of like this. <laughs> so, you know, my, my question is, right now, the, before the pandemic, the, the average uh, Christian attending church in North America came 1.8 times a month. Yeah. I wonder if it'll be 1.2. It, you know, it's a very real possibility, and I, I hope you're wrong, to be honest with you, but uh, I think that's, that's always a very real possibility. And again, when you're dealing with people's schedules, uh, which are very demanding, we're competing against, you know, youth sports and all kinds of other stuff that takes place now on Sundays, I would not be surprised if we don't see a dip in physical attendance. And as you heard in my video, I just built the case that God's always had a physical gathering of his people, whether it was the tabernacle or the temple, whether they met in businesses or on beaches or in boats, you know, or in homes, they, God's people have come together. And that was really critical for us to uh, emphasize that, that theological need. Hey, I'll put you on the spot. Can you remember, I think you had like three points. Yeah. Yeah. We what, had a, we, share we started with. We started with the biblical mandate of just, you know, the great thing about Acts is it's prescriptive and descriptive. It, it tells us what they did, how they did it, but it also leaves a little bit of, of freedom and flexibility within the framework for the mandate. He just wants us when we get together to do these things. And so uh, started with that foundation. Then we talked about the historical, uh, you know, issue that churches historically have, have run towards uh, pandemics and towards opportunities like this and as a result have grown. And we see that in the Roman world. We saw it in the plagues of the you know, Middle Ages. And you know, the Christians were not the ones isolating or quarantining themselves from people. They were the ones running towards people that needed help. And so built that, you know, that kind of idea into the video that we shot. And then last, we, we just talked about uh, the emotional need that people have. And again, just gauging the emails and the chat feature on our online service, um, it, it was obvious that there, we were seeing a steady ramp up of, of people struggling. And then we had conversations with law enforcement officials who were seeing spouse and child abuse instances rise, suicide rates rise, drug overdose rises. And then, uh, conf you know, confidential conversations with therapists who were saying in their counseling sessions, people were not doing well. And they were seeing folks just literally the wheels were falling off the bus. So those things just compelled us um, to, to address. When I watched your video, it was the first one that I had seen articulate the emotional motivation to get back together. Most churches that I stumble across are worried about offerings and worried about keeping everything together. And so it's, it's the panacea of, can we come gather? And one of your motivations I thought was interesting was not everybody's doing well locked up and yeah. they need other believers that on, maybe I, maybe it's just so obvious. Everybody knew it. I had not heard that. Yeah, again, just we decided to kind of broaden who we were listening to, you know, so just tuning into the governor's nightly uh, conversation, we just felt like we've got to hear from some other experts and voices in our community. And as we did that, that really drove our, our decision making in a very clear way. And again, a conversation we had with some other churches, specifically Life Church, who, you know, their governor asked them to open and um, probably the largest church in our country, but man, they just said after they opened the first weekend, they realized the sooner churches can get open, the better, because it's going to take a while to, to rebuild trust and to get the wheels rolling again in the right direction. And that, that just kind of tipped us over the edge to go, we got to do this. 
And that's funny, coming from Life Church, since they've been an early adopter of technology anyway. Absolutely. And I think that's one of our concerns, too, is, you know, these early adopters who have come back to church and the late adapters who are going to show, you know, I think by the time they show up, people are going to have their mask off. They're going to be done with social <laughs> distancing. So that, that collision is coming at some point, and we know we'll have to deal with that. Walk me through some of the process. What did you have to do for kids when you opened up last week? Like, I just don't understand. How do you social distance a five-year-old? Yeah, we're not allowed right now by state guidelines to um, have children's ministry. And our insurance providers made it clear that they won't cover any of the risk liabilities associated with it. So we're just having to follow that state mandate. It makes us upset but we we have to do that until june 15th and we know once we open up we're gonna have to have more children's space than we typically have because the kids are they're just not gonna socially distance and so we're just gonna have to limit the amount of kids in each room and the amount of volunteers in each room yeah before three months ago my life was rental cars hotels and airplanes and going all over the country and working with folks and as last three months you know all that is has changed and I've been bombarded by Hertz and everybody else on how they're changing. You know, yeah. Delta is bombarding me, how they're changing. Uh, one is that they're cleaning things. And I'm like, well, I wish Hertz would have done that earlier. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I'm thinking in church, especially a church like Southland, multiple locations, multiple services, you've got to be developing new protocols that are going to be this figured out as you go. Yeah, we're, we're cleaning before, between, and after every service. We've got a company coming in to help our custodial staff do that. That's one thing we're doing. You know, obviously providing masks for those that want them. Um, and even thinking through the length of our services, because now we do have children in the room, so we've dialed back about five minutes on our Sunday service uh, to be accommodating those kids and even to provide some things for them to do while they're in the service. Um, so those are good things. You know, it's always good to mix stuff up, try new things, evaluate what you're doing. And, and even strategically overall, as we're looking at this, we realize there's a good possibility. We may never get back to what we used to call normal. And so in that process, we're praying and just kind of holding everything very loosely and having discussions as a team as to if we had a chance to rewrite strategy, mission, vision, all of that, man, let's put it all on the table and, and have some evaluation type conversations. And those have all been very, very healthy. And then to couple that with prayer uh, has been really, really good for our team. Well, part of the reason in the motivation 11 months ago when we launched this thing is because we talked to leaders. So most of the people that download our episodes are leading ministries, churches, things like that. And, sure. the, and the conversation I like with folks like you is on a very practical level. It's like, this is the stuff you should be thinking about. So like early on, when churches were getting shut down and we did uh, episodes on PPP and, and getting help for your payroll and stuff like that, thousands download. Um, so I think the conversations you're having right now are, are needed on will, will it come back to quote unquote normal? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I had a call from one of my favorite people, Don Wilson. Don founded Christ Church of the Valley out in Phoenix. And, um, he's, he's hilarious. He's uncle Don to me, but, uh, Don <laughs> called and he, he's, he's crazy. And, and I'm going to have him on. We just haven't been a lot lining up, but, but Don, uh, is, for those that don't know, Christ Church of the Valley is one of the top five, 10 churches in the country size wise before all this thing happened. A few years ago, they did Easter in the Cardinal stadium had 58,000 there. So, I mean, this is a sizable church. And he was saying in view of technology and everything, he goes, I don't know if I would have done it that way. I, I think I may have looked at it completely different. 
than the model that was so successful for them. So I think as you look at yours, because you've got multiple locations, uh, one of the things you've done well is like when you did the Richmond Road where you bought the mall and redid it, it's a video venue, but it is a sizable video venue. It is not sure. one of the small footprints. Um, no. And done very, very well. My wife went to one of your early services there and she texted me. I was somewhere else in the country. And she said, okay, Weiss is not here. He's on video. But if he's arrested today, I would swear he was here. Because <laughs> the, te- the technology is that good, you know. Yeah, it's, so we have arguments every week and people want to know if I was really there. And it's actually a big <laughs> campus. I've never been there. I'm in, you know, <laughs> preaching. So it's crazy. I, I, but so in light of this, if you were pr- prognosticating, and looking future campuses and so forth five years from now, uh, what what are the questions you'd be asking? You know, we're going to ask some of the normal questions of, you know, in terms of our state, we're just focused on our state. Where are the economically depressed areas where churches have not historically done well? Where are places where churches have not done well evangelistically? And then, you know, we're going to also look at what's happening on the technology front that we can leverage so that our, our reach is even greater and more effective. And, you know, we use social media because it's free and use it to the nth degree. You know, we've created videos that have 80 million views and they just, you know, spread your footprint out in a lot better way. And they give you a first impression with people who have never been to where you are. And, uh, you know, we use humor a lot and it just, you know, Southern culture type stuff that, uh, what's the appetite, but also gives people an idea before they even show up. So, you know, technology is always going to be at the forefront of our thinking because it works. And again, I'm just blown away that in the state of Kentucky, we can pull off multi-site. I thought years ago, there's no way people will show up in an old mall to, to watch a sermon, but, uh, they proved me wrong and it's helped us reach people we would have never reached before. And at the same yeah. time, we want to partner and, you know, launch new churches too. We, you know, we don't really know down the road how this is going to all play out. We may have to release every campus to be an independent church. And that's, that's a part of this that we're very comfortable with and, and we'll be glad to do if it's, if it's best for the kingdom. The, um, you mentioned something just in passing that I think a lot of ears would probably perk up. And they said your insurance folks had some <laughs> trepidation about sure. you uh, with child care and so forth. Um, what were those conversations? Cause I, I, here's the way I look at it. I think a lot of the people that download this are leading uh, modest sized churches across the country. And they learn from folks that are a little step, a few steps ahead in size and scope and what they're dealing with. And so I think this is one that they all need to have this conversation, but they may not be having it at the local level. So what were, what was that? Yeah, we called, they were one of the first phone calls we made. Uh, because we had heard of the potential for lawsuits, you know, and it'd be really difficult to prove in court that someone actually got COVID at our campus, but that risk is there. And you, you also are dealing with people who may be looking for an opportunity um, financially to, to, to stick it to a church. So those conversations with, with our insurance providers were interesting because they just said, we, we're not covering COVID related stuff. So we had to pull back and go, man, is it worth us opening before the governor says we're allowed to, because let's say we get sued, we could end up turning over the keys to an entire facility, you know, in, in cash payout for whatever someone might sue us. For. It just didn't seem worth that risk. And that was really, really frustrating for me as an, as an American. I just thought, my goodness, our rights are being trampled here. But I had to look more at our responsibilities. I had to set rights on the table and just look at our responsibility uh, for the future and not just 
be blinded by the here and now. And I think in leadership, that's always, that's always a challenge. And I, I think that's where sometimes Satan lives is in that tension between the here and now and you know, the future. Did you have any, uh, you're an easygoing kind of guy. Did you have any tension at all early on? Like, Hey, you don't tell us we can't meet. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 I, my wife will tell you, I was talking at the TV constantly, you know, and she'd just be like, you've become an old man. Sit down and calm down. <laughs> and, you know, I think that's going to be true for anyone that's got any leadership bone is, you know, there's a part of this where you're skeptical and you just think, oh, they're trying to control us, you know, and, and that may be true. I don't know how this thing's going to play out at all. But at the same time, I put myself in the shoes of people in government and realized, man, I, I do not envy where they're at. They don't have a lot of good information. They're making decisions on the fly that affect millions of people. I've got a small taste of that and it's stressful. So it kind of turned early on towards prayer for them and even partnership with them and opening up a line of communication saying, Hey, you know, come and inspect what we're doing, advise us, coach us. And then it allowed us to coach them to say, Hey, you know, you're thinking about churches that are a lot smaller than ours. They said one person in a bathroom at a time. And we were like, there's no way we can pull that off. If you have a toddler, they, someone's got to go in with them. And so they're like, you know, we didn't think about that. And they were at least humble enough to admit there were things they didn't think of. And I wasn't surprised by that. I mean, that's, that's going to happen. So overall, man, it created a good line of communication between us and the governor. And uh, hopefully now we can help some other churches, which we've been doing locally. And some churches opened up before us uh, because they were allowed. We waited just an extra week. We didn't want to be the guinea pig. We thought, "Eh, let's let some other churches open, call them, have some conversations here in our area. And then now we've become the guinea pig and other churches are looking at us. And so I just think that sharing mindset, that generous mindset in the kingdom has to be there among churches. Last thing I want to touch on is uh, early on when this first started happening, we did a lot of episodes talking about uh, generosity. Reason I grabbed Phil Cook and put him on an episode is he had sent out a tweet that I agreed with. You know, so if it's if you I agree with you, it's good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I saw something he wrote I agreed with, and he basically was telling ministries and churches quit sending stuff out asking people to give you money. Tell them about what you're doing. Absolutely. Uh, and and so you guys have weathered the storm and are weathering the storm with a, a sizable organization, you know, at the end of the day, you got a lot of footprint and a lot of employees and those kind of things. And, and you're navigating those waters. What have you done that you think has helped you? Yeah, we, we always work generosity and vision into every sermon we preach. And so it's in our, it's in our DNA and we tell stories. Our dollar club allows us to tell practical things that we've done every week for people in need in our community that are not associated with our church. And as a result of that, it just spurs on more generosity. So we have, a, we have a church that would give you the shirt off their back if they had to, and we rarely have to prompt them. So when this happened, we just said, hey, we're going to encourage those of you who haven't gone to our online giving feature to go that direction. Just become regular online givers. And man, we we got a whole new demographic of people giving at the first and 15th of the month now. So we're excited to see what's going to happen down the road when things kind of do return to some semblance of normal, how many new givers, maybe, maybe our budget will increase. We have no way to predict that, but so far we've been able to weather this and we're also debt free, which gives us a lot of ability to be nimble uh, financially. Yeah. My African American churches, I always had the phrase I love that God's provision follows his vision. And yeah. so you, you talk about what you're doing, and I, I think you guys are doing that in, in an exceptional way. The uh, talking about it every time, not just waiting until you need something and stand on the table, but talking, linking the two, the vision and generosity. And, 
and how those two, two pull together um, is exceptional. And not everybody gets that. We wrote a book a couple of years ago about the changing and giving in North America and how it's going to be traumatic for lots and lots of churches. Uh, so I, that's why I wanted to get that out there, that what you guys are doing on a large scale. Uh, and that, that, off the top of your head, you may not know this. Do you know the percentage of money that comes online? Uh, for, uh, it's six, 65, 65 to 75% on a weekly basis. Yeah, we, we tell our clients you need to be at 50% overnight if you can. Get there and just talk about it. Uh, I'll brag on CCV out in Phoenix since we mentioned them. They're at 89%. Um, yeah. So yeah. It, it's part of that is because nobody writes checks anyway, so you got to figure out how life is. Uh, sure. but, the, but the other part is exactly what you've been able to do in using that social media platform. So I applaud you, man. Everything that you're Thank doing, you. I, I encourage people – Follow him on Twitter. Let me look at your handle. It's John with a J-O-N. Um, and at John Weiss, J-O-N-W-E-E-C-E. Follow him or go check out the Southlands website, uh, southlandchristian.org. They do put out good stuff. Some of that stuff goes viral and crazy and uh, very, very cool stuff. So, man, I do appreciate it. And I thank you for being with us. Hey, thanks, Phil. Appreciate it, Tim. You guys have a good day. Another episode of The Giving Leader. I thank you for listening. That was John Wee, South and Christian, and why they reopen. Make sure you go to our website, thegivingchurch.com, download information, free book, all kinds of cool stuff. I'm Phil Ling, the host and the founder of The Giving Church. Thank you.